Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. something that that's a very powerful principle in the word of god um and i i I wasn't expecting to minister tonight as you know so i was asking the lord you know what do i do father do we carry on from where we left off do we do i do it just a single message on something different and i wasn't 100 percent sure but i know you guys have been on the subject of prayer and persistent prayer for quite some time now and uh i want to just continue Along the lines of what I've been saying for the past couple of weeks. Two weeks ago I spoke to you about the primary purpose of pers- persistent prayer. And that primary purpose is personal transformation. It is that in that place of prayer and in communion and, and, and uh, abiding in Christ. He begins to do something in us that transforms and changes us. Uh, we spoke about how so much of our prayer life is often asking God to intervene on our situation. Or intervene in our situation in order to bring relief from the pressure, from the stress, from the strain or whatever it may be. And our, our focus is continually, Lord, just get us out of this place or get us beyond this place because we're feeling overwhelmed. Whereas very often in the midst of what's going on, God is not just wanting to bring relief. He's wanting to bring change within us. And he uses those circumstances to bring that change. And we spoke about Paul praying that God would take this thorn from his flesh and how the Lord ministered grace to him and how through the grace of God Paul overcame Paul brought the relief and and the relief came through through Paul and that's generally how God wants to work through us last week we also spoke um, about the prevailing word of God the word that prevails or comes forth from the mouth of God speaking about how faith comes not by having heard what God has said, but faith comes from hearing what God is saying. And faith is that substance that brings the power and the presence of God into our lives, into our reality, into our perspective, but also into the natural. It brings the manifestation of God's, of Jesus' victory and the, the kingdom of God. So the prevailing word of God is, is really where I want to pick up from tonight and talk about a little bit more. And just continue continue following on along those lines. Because there's a principle in Scripture, and Jesus alludes to it again and again and again, that says, whatever you can believe God for, you can have. Or let me rather turn that around to make the sentence better. You can have whatever it is that you can believe God for. Jesus said in Mark 9.23, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, once again, I want to just go back briefly. This this obviously fits into the context of abiding with God. Remember, we spoke about James and he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. In other words, you ask for the wrong thing so that you may spend it on your own pleasures 
or you know basically your your motive or your intention is personal benefit simply you know personal comfort so you're asking for things but what you're asking is not really lined up with what god is wanting for you and wanting to do through you in this time he we also looked at how jesus said in the parable of the of the of the vineyard or the parable of the vine how if you abide in me and my words abide in you so both are required then you will ask whatever it is that you desire and it will be done for you by my father in heaven so there's a promise there that if you abide and if you believe whatever you ask and jesus says in this verse whatever you if you believe it will be done for you I don't know how how much those the reality of what Jesus is promising us has really set into our hearts. I think if you had to measure your prayer life based on the requests that you make of Jesus, based on the expectations that you have, you can start kind of evaluating where you're at in terms of truly understanding that invitation. Because it's a, it's a mighty, mighty invitation. Excuse me. We've got the winter sniffles. So it's a really mighty invitation. Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. And I think once we start meditating on that, and once we start thinking on that, we understand that God is trying to get us out of our very limited understanding, our very limited way of thinking, and bring us into the place where his limit, where, where, where his limitless capacity begins to to break through and our expectation starts to hit another level again this comes through revelation this comes by faith but so 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 believing is required but it's as though god is calling us and saying i want you to come up to higher to another level and i want you to start seeing what i'm seeing because once you start seeing that what you believe and what you're going to expect and therefore what you're going to experience in your life is going to go to another level, to another dimension. What is possible is dependent upon what we believe. And what we believe is dependent on three things. Number one, it's dependent on our perception of God. It's dependent on our our, our, our perception of being accepted by Him. In other words, God, I am your child. The greater and the deeper that revelation is, the greater and the deeper you'll be able to to operate in that that spirit of coming and asking very boldly of your father. I don't know if any of you youngsters, it doesn't matter actually how old you are, there's a certain expectation that children have of their father to provide their basic needs, to have the answers. But I am still at that incredible, wonderful phase of my life where I have two daughters who still believe, I, who still see me as their hero. I am just the coolest thing since life. I am hilarious to my girls. I am still their hero and it's awesome. Long may it continue. I keep telling them not to grow up. I don't want them growing up. Uh, but... Despite my requests, they are still growing up. Here's the evidence of it. This is what happened today. My eldest lost her first tooth. So she's growing up, despite what I want. But I'm still in this wonderful place where she, where, where whatever she wants. And these days, most of what she wants is a unicorn and, you know, that kind of stuff. 
They come and they ask really boldly because they know their old man, if at all possible, will make it possible. Anything in the house that breaks, they have absolute confidence in my ability to fix it. It's a problem sometimes. But why? Because I'm limited. God, however, is not. And He longs and He wants for us to come to Him with that same kind of level of expectation. Knowing, somehow just knowing and trusting completely that He is awesome and that He knows how to fix things and He knows how to make it right and that, and He's hilarious and somehow it'll all be okay. Why? Because God is there. So our perception of God is really important. So it's our perception of, of our acceptance in His presence. It's our, our perception of His ability and His will. You see, I think most of us, once we understand God, our struggle is not so much with if God can. Our struggle is will God for me. That's generally when we have the disconnect. I'm reminded of the story of the leper that came to Jesus and said, Son of man, I, I know that you are able to, to heal me, but I'm not sure if you will. Because obviously you understand, as a leper, his, his understanding, his social status was as nothing. He was an outcast. He was not allowed near people. And so even coming to Jesus was an incredible risk for him. And he was probably fully expecting to be shunned, like every Pharisee, like every temple priest would have done to him because of his leprosy. He was declared unclean. And so he came to Jesus and he said, I know you can, but I, if you will. And Jesus turned to him and said, I will. And he touched him and he healed him. Very often because of how we feel about ourselves, we come to God knowing that he is God and that he can. And our struggle very often is, God, will you for me? Am I special enough? Have I done the right things? Have I prayed enough? Have I gone to church enough? Have I given enough? And we kind of base God's benevolence on our action. That's like trying to earn God's blessing, trying to earn our salvation, trying to earn His goodness working in our lives. Now look, we can't earn those things because they're freely given by God who loves us all. We can cooperate with them though, and we can resist them. So I don't want to say we have no role to play in this and God's blessing just falls on us like ripe cherries off a tree. It doesn't work quite that way. But we need to understand God's heart towards us is not to withhold from us. God's heart towards us is to give and to bless and to prosper and in every form and facet of life, not just financially, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, vocationally, with meaning and purpose and significance. So there's this understanding of God in His fullness. There's this understanding of God and His benevolence and His goodness towards us that draws us to a place of opening our hearts to Him and of trusting Him. So that's the first thing that, that, that determines what and how we believe God and the Word of God. The second thing is this, our view of ourselves. Do we see ourselves as weak or failing? Or do we see ourselves as victorious through Christ? Do we see ourselves as sinners who are saved by grace? Or do we see ourselves as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? These are very important things because I alluded to it in the previous point. Jesus says that he wants us to come boldly to his throne of grace. Not arrogantly, 
as if God owns, owes us something, not arrogantly as if God, as, as we, as if we are the masters of God and we're going to tell Him what to do. But He does say, come boldly, unashamedly, expectingly to His throne of grace. You can't do that if you are stuck with a sin consciousness. If all you are conscious of is, I don't want to go into God's presence right now because I feel guilty, I feel dirty, I feel ashamed. You begin to cut yourself off from God's loving kindness and that, and from His mercy. That scripture is just so incredible because it says, Come boldly and receive mercy. Now, somebody who's done nothing wrong needs no mercy. It's only somebody who's guilty that needs mercy. And so God is saying, even though if you feel guilty, even no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, come. Because it's in that place where we confess, it's in that place where we can deal with these things, where we can receive forgiveness, and where we can get hold of and and, and, and heal that relationship between us and God. Because it's never the problem's never on God's side, it's on our side. We let stuff creep in. And the third thing is our so it's our perception of God, it's our perception of ourselves in Christ Jesus as heirs to the to, to, to everything that Christ inherited. And the third thing is our perception of God's promises. God your word. I mean these promises that you give, are they really true? Did you really mean it when you promised it, God? Did you really mean it? Sometimes it just seems in the world that we're living in. It, it, it can't be, Lord. It's just too good to be true. Some of your promises concerning healing, for instance. you telling me, God, that no matter what comes upon me, your will is for me to be healed and to walk in health and divine health all the days of my life. It just seems so contradictory because every year the world tells me I need a flu shot. The world tells me I need this and, and I will be subject to these things. Well, look, we know we live in a fallen world. We know sickness is a part of the flesh and all this kind of stuff. But God, are you really telling me that I can live beyond all of this? Are you really telling me, God, that, that I can completely trust you with my finances? That I can completely trust you to provide for me and that you promise you will provide all my needs according to your riches and glory? Because that sounds really awesome, God. Is that really true? So often our expectation of God is subject not, not to his word, not to what he promises us, but is subject to our experience. Oh, I haven't, I haven't experienced that kind of healing yet. So maybe God didn't really mean that, or I haven't experienced that kind of abundant provision yet. And so often what we tend to do with the promises and the word of God, the word of God promises something that is up here, but our experience is down here. And so what we often tend to do is we try and explain our experience and bring God's word down to this to normalize and legitimize our experience and thereby nullifying what it is that God wants to call us up to. Instead of bringing God's word down here to try and explain, let me give you an example. You'll hear some people saying today, the power of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for today. I prayed for it, I didn't receive it. Healing is not for today. I know somebody who was Belief for healing, belief for healing, didn't receive his healing and has gone completely against teaching he, the, the healing teaching, any kind of faith teaching. Because what happened is, although there was a promise of God, he didn't experience it yet in his situation. And he didn't stick through. He brought it down here and now he uses the very same word of God to explain why healing is not for today. 
There was a dispensation when that happened, but it doesn't happen anymore. That is not what God wants us to do. And that is just not truth. That is taking the truth of God's word and bringing it down to our level of experience. In other words, everything about God becomes subject to, to your and my understanding. Everything about God becomes subject to your and my experience. That means we're God. We've taken God out of his place and tried to bring him into, put him into a box that we can deal with him. No, no, no. God wants us to be reaching up to where his word is, to believe it. And then he says, what does he say? If you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Believes what? Believes that I am God and that I love you. Who believes that you are my child and I have everything that I have is yours and is freely given. And believes that when I promise something, it's going to happen. I mean it and I intend it for you and I want you to walk in the fullness of it. Perception is an incredibly important thing. How many of you have been in a situation where you've said something and it's been completely misconstrued because somebody's perception of you or what you were meaning is was wrong? I've got a big mouth. I've been in that situation a lot. And I've had to apologize, sometimes personally, sometimes publicly, which is really humbling and humiliating. But why? Because perceptions are, are tricky things. A perception is the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through the senses. So I can perceive through my, through my smell, something funky is going on here. Or through what I see, or through what I hear, through what I taste, as well as by what I feel. Five physical senses. It's also the act or faculty of perceiving or apprehending or understanding by means of the senses or of the mind or cognition or understanding. So a perception is like lenses. There's, a, there's an old story of uh, a couple who moved into a house one day and there was a new house and... Uh, the wife was sitting at her sink and uh, cleaning the dishes and her neighbor, her new neighbor was just, she could see out of her kitchen window the back garden of her neighbor and she was out hanging her laundry. And she looked at this and she shook her head. She says, this woman really doesn't have any idea how to wash clothes. I mean, look how many stains are still all over her laundry. I wonder what detergent she uses. It's obviously not a good one. And, then, you know, a couple of days later there she was hanging up washing again. She was washing her dishes and she... Called her husband over and said, look at, look at the neighbor's washing. Doesn't this woman know how to wash? Does she have a washing machine? It's just her laundry comes out so dirty. It's like it hasn't been washed. And there she's hanging it up as it has come from the wash. And this went on for about two or three weeks. And eventually one day she went to go wash her dishes. And all of a sudden the neighbor must have gotten a new washing machine or something. Because she was hanging out her laundry. And everything was spotless. It was shining. It was bright. And she called her husband and said, look, honey, look what happened. The neighbor finally learned how to do her washing. And he said, no, my sweetheart, I just cleaned the window yesterday. What was the difference? It wasn't the neighbor. It was the lens that she was looking through. And so often our perception of God or our perception of ourselves or our perception of our situation or even our perception of, of those around us is tainted by our own, by, by things that are not according to the truth. Of God's word. They're tainted by our experiences. They're tainted by our hurts. Some people grapple and struggle to receive. Some people grapple and struggle with trust. Some, you know, and, and so they keep everybody at a distance. Why? Because somewhere along the line, something has come and has dirtied or tainted their perception or their lens. 
and they never manage to clean it. So everything they look at through that lens, they're going to see negativity, they're going to, they're going to see faults, they're going to find them, they're, they're always going to be able to see the negative and find reasons to push people away, to dismiss what God says, not to draw near to Him or be vulnerable in His presence because their perception has skewed what is clean, what is true, what is righteous and what it is that God wants to see. Would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, please? We're going to read a bit of scripture now. And we're going to talk a little bit about seeing and a bit about perception. Now, Mark chapter 4 is a very famous portion of scripture. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to start at verse 10, but let me give you some context here. Jesus tells what the Bible calls the parable of all parables. And he basically says, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of the parables? It's the parable of the sower. Sower comes out, he sows the word, he sows the seed, which is the word of God. Some of it falls on hard ground, some of it falls on rocky ground, some of it thorns on falls on, on ground where there's thorns, and some of it falls on good soil and produces a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. So Jesus tells this parable, and then we pick it up in verse 10. It says, But when he was alone, those around him, with the twelve, asked him about the parable. So they're saying, God, Jesus, what were you saying? What are you trying to communicate? And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing they may see and not perceive. And hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now that's quite a mouthful and that's quite an interesting thing for Jesus to say. And it kind of seems very out of character because he came to save everybody. Why is he hiding things from certain people? Why doesn't he want certain people to see? Why doesn't he want certain people to experience some things and to come into what he wants other people into? It seems a little bit exclusive. And I was driving not long ago and I was praying for somebody who's in a difficult situation and they're really struggling to discern the voice and the leading of God in, in the situation that they're in. And I said, God, would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand what it is that you're saying to them? And as I was praying that, I started meditating and saying, God, what are eyes to see? Because he said here, seeing they may see and not perceive. Very interesting. Jesus spoke things in parables. We, we've been raised thinking, we've been raised taught that Jesus taught things in parables and in stories to make them simple and easy for us to understand. It's actually the contrary. Jesus told things in parables so that those without any spiritual insight would not understand. He was trying to deliberately hide the mystery of the truth of the gospel from those who he didn't want to hear it. And I'm saying to the Lord, I'm saying, what are ears to hear, God? What are eyes to see? What is? Because we're obviously not talking about natural eyes. We're obviously not talking about physical ears. What, what, what is the heart attitude of one that hears and that sees? And the Lord drops in my heart. He says, those who truly hear and those who truly see are those who will look and will listen with the intention to change their perception and obey. Ears to hear means, God, I am willing. To, I'm not, I, am, I, am, I am not in this for myself. I am in this for you. You see... Jesus had a lot of people following him. At some stage, we know there was 5,000 men alone. So what, 15, 20,000 people? He fed them all with, um, what was it, two fish and five loaves? And we understand that parable. And not long after, 
he starts saying things and people start leaving him. He starts saying really difficult, awkward things like, if you don't eat my flesh, you have no part of me. And if you don't drink my blood, then you've got no... Weird cannibalistic teachings that Jesus starts giving. And a lot of people were like, this is weird. We are out of here. And what was Jesus doing there? He was beginning to serve those who were after him for what they could get versus those who were after him for who he was. So he says these difficult things and he eventually turns to his disciples and says, you're also free to go, by the way, to which they respond, where are we going to go? We've got nowhere else to go. We're sold out for you. You have the words of eternal life. They had ears to hear. They had no plan B. Their hearts were set on pursuing God. And they were determined that whatever Jesus told them, they would change their way of thinking, change their perception and obey. A great example of this is when Peter is up on the roof praying and God gives him this vision of the sheet with the, the pure and the impure animals falling into it. And God's saying, Peter's saying, what is this, God? God's saying to him, I need you to change your perception because I'm sending you to a Gentile and I want to open up this new gift of the Holy Spirit that you've received to the entire world. Peter had, I don't think we understand the hugeness of that paradigm shift Peter had to make. Later on even, even later on, further on in his ministry journey, Paul rebukes Peter and says, Peter, why are you still focused so much on the Jews? God's already spoken to you. Obviously, Paul had a passion for the Gentiles. But we see this thing of perception needing to change. And for you and I, it's the, it's the same. It's the same. Our perception of God, our perception of His promises, our perception of ourselves in Him needs to line up with His. And I want to say this to you. There are some perceptions that God deals with us in an instant. And for that, from that moment on, for the rest of our lives, we never struggle with that perception again. We are set in it. There's a sense of conviction and faith in our hearts. It's no issue. We move on. No problem. But there's other areas of our lives where we vacillate to and fro, to and fro. And James talks about this. He says, let not anyone... Let me, let me read it for you from the book of James so that I don't get the wording wrong. says, if any of you needs wisdom, James 1 verse 5, verse 5 and 6, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, in other words, believing, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7 and 8, For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So on the one hand, we have Jesus saying, Ask me anything. If you believe, you can, you can have it. And here we have James saying, Yes, it is absolutely true. But you can't vacillate. You can't believe one minute and be out the next. You can't think this way one minute and think that way the next. Our thoughts and our perceptions need to become established in the Word and in the ways of God. Now, I want to just give you a little demonstration, a little understanding of perception tonight that may be a little, just a little bit fun. Now, I asked Peter earlier on to organize a little mirror to, to, for, for, for this demonstration tonight. Um, and his response was, great, I can see myself enjoying this evening's message. Ten points, Peter. You had me chuckling on that one. Thank you. So, just, Peter, I'm going to unmute you here because I want you to be part of this little demonstration that we've got going here can you just position yourself in front of the camera and i want before you before yeah okay now i want us all to just look at peter's face okay if 
Uh, what do you see? Now, guys, in fact, let me unmute you all. We may have a little bit of racket here, but that's okay. When you look at Peter, what do you see? Now, don't hold back, but be honest, people. Be honest. What do you see? Sorry? Someone with a new haircut, Peter. Someone noticed. What else do you see? A good looking dude. A good looking dude. <laughs> Anybody else? Smiling face. There we go, a smiling face. You know, I, I'm, 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 when I look at Peter, I'm going to mute you all again. When I look at Peter, I, I know him quite well. I, I see somebody who's tall, because he is. He's, I call him Longshanks, because he's long and he's skinny. Uh, I, see, I know someone who's strong. When I look at Peter, I see a pilot, because I know he's a pilot. He flies airplanes. And, and, and Now, if I was to ask Emma, what do you, if you look at Peter, what do you see? She would most likely say... A husband. I see a friend. I see a lover. I see safety. Why? Because her perception is very different to mine. If I had to ask little Gracie. Gracie, look at daddy. What do you see? What's she going to say? Daddy. Because from her perception, he's the hero. He's the dad. He's also in that awesome season of his life. <laughs> and long may I continue, Peter. So now... But now, I want to just do something a little different. Peter, look in the mirror. Get your little mirror up there. All right. <laughs> what do you see, Peter? You see a man, that's a good start. Well, let me ask you some questions. Yeah. Do you see strength, Peter? Yeah. Do you see Jesus, Peter? A little bit. Do you see a businessman, Peter? Do you see someone who's loved of God? Yes. Do you see someone who's imperfect? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Peter. I appreciate your help on this one. If I, if I, thanks, Peter. If I had to put a mirror in front of any of you and start asking you that question, what do you see? You know, you probably... It's amazing also the difference between men and women. Men look in the mirror and they find the thing worth looking at. They find the one good thing. This is my good side. You know, they'll find the good thing. You look at a woman, what are they going to find? There's a blemish. 
where's the bad, you know, the role, the whatever. The... Guys and girls just have completely different outlooks when they look in the mirror. But the reason that was really difficult for Peter, and I kind of put him on the spot there, so sorry about that, Peter. If I had to ask you, look in the mirror, what do you see? How, how often do you really look beyond the surface? How often do you really look in the mirror and actually look at yourself? Look in your own eyes. <laughs> when you look at yourself, what do you see? You see your intentions. You see your dreams. You see your shortcomings. You see your hopes. Our biggest battle in this life is lining up our perception of what we see with God's perception. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. In, in Numbers 13.33, it tells the story of how the twelve spies went into the promised land. Excuse me. And they came back and ten of them gave the following report. They said, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak. They came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So despite everything that they had seen coming out of Egypt, Despite manna falling from heaven, despite the word that God had given them, their perception meant they never entered into the promised land. And I want to say this to you today, that despite what Jesus has done on the cross for you, despite everything that he has made available for you and I, our perception of him and of those promises will determine whether or not we experience them in our lives. It's our, Jesus is our promised land. He is so much more than was ever promised to the nation of Israel. But He is our promised land. And He is saying things over each and every one of us every day. He's saying generic things. You are my child. I love you. We all know those things. But He's also saying very, very personal things. And here's an interesting thing. In the same way that Emma would say something very different of Peter to you or I, or his children would say something very different to you or I, I want to say this, nobody has God's perspective of you but Him. Nobody has the clarity of God's understanding of your makeup as well as He does. Praise God for fathers who speak into our lives. Praise God for prophetic ministry that speaks the Word of God. But nothing is the same as God speaking over you. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, if you would please. Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 4 through to verse 13. And it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Oh Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. So there was his perception. What was his perception? Well, God's word comes in and immediately he's dismissing it. So I can't speak. I'm a youth. I'm too young for this. But the Lord said, do not say I am a youth. So change your perception. Okay, so that is not a legitimate reason or excuse. For you shall go to all whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid in their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Case closed. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. 
See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot. And it is facing away from the north. And he carries on. I don't want to carry on any further. But the, we, the point we have there is that twice the Lord says to him, the Lord gives him a perspective, a new perspective. And then with that new perspective, God says, what do you see? So in other words, first of all, he corrects the perspective and then comes godly vision. You see, you cannot embrace a vision from God for your life or for your situation until you've got the right perception of God, of yourself and of the situation. It is a vital thing. Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, look around where you are, to the north and to the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. Here's the, here's the message. As far as you can see, you can have. Because as far as you can see and perceive in the spirit, you can believe. So God is wanting to shift our perception aright so that we can see with His vision because what we see in the Spirit gives us the faith that we need to believe and to receive. Matthew 9, 28 and 29. And when He had come into the house, the blind men came to Him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? In other words, what is your perception? He's gauging where is their faith. And they said to Him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be unto you. You see. And this is why it's vital for us to perceive things from God's perspective. Because it shapes everything else. It forms a foundation for everything else. And the way we interpret and see the rest of the word of God, every message that is preached to us, everything we read in scripture is shaped by our perception. Perception has to do with vision. Uh, we, 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 we already spoken about that. I want to talk just a little bit about going to the optometrist. Uh, last year, or well, a couple of years ago, I had to go to the optometrist. I was busy doing some very fine work at night and twice. I just got really dizzy, felt a bit nauseous, couldn't understand what was going on with me. I thought, this must be my eyes. Let me go have them checked out. So I went to the optometrist. And look, it's really interesting. They, they, I don't know how many of you have been to an optometrist. Some of you wear glasses, I know. So you, you're familiar with the, uh, the whole procedure, but they, they evaluate a lot of things before they prescribe anything. They first of all check both the actual condition of your physical eye, they take photos and all kinds of things, as well as the condition of your sight, what you can see. Excuse me. And what they do is they take a photo of the inside of your eye and that will tell them a lot about your vision already. And they will ask you questions like, what do you see? They'll put something over you and go, what do you see? That? That. Do you see clearer to number one or to number two? Which is clearer? One or two? One or two? And they look exactly the same. And they do that for quite a while until you eventually go, number two. And then the whole thing carries on. It's amazing how you feel so much pressure in that moment to get the answer right. 
You go there, you know you can't see properly, and yet you're trying to prove to them how well you can see. It makes no sense. Anyway. <laughs> and so what they do is they work on your focus, they work on what you can see, they work on what you can't see, and, and what is clearer to you and all the rest. The way we work on, on, on our spiritual perception or focus is very similar. It's by focusing on the things of the Spirit and it's by regularly performing these kinds of tests on ourselves, making the necessary adjustments as we go. What is our tester of our spiritual vision? It is the Word of God. It reveals to us the shortcomings in our sight. You see, any test is designed for what? To reveal weakness. A test is not made so that you can fail. It's to test how much you know and it's to reveal to you what you don't yet know. So getting things wrong is not necessarily a bad thing, which I hear Dieter going, you see, Dad, I was telling you, it's not about the mark. <laughs> it, <laughs> it reveals to you where you need work. And likewise, when I start looking in the Word of God, it's like I'm doing eye tests on my perception, on how I see things. And when I start not, when I, when I hear the Word of God saying something like, love your enemies, the way my heart feels right now, that's a completely different perspective. Or perhaps I'm in a situation and I'm, I'm with my wife and I'm, I feel very strongly about doing things this way and she feels very strongly about doing things that way. And God, what is your wisdom? What is the right way? I want to be vindicated in this. Tell me what is the right way to do things. And you go to James 3 and he says, well, wisdom that is from above, in other words, my wisdom, is first pure and peaceable. It's willing to yield. And it's willing, you know, it's, 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 and so basically what God says is, just do it her way. It doesn't matter which way is right. And so what happens? Your perception needs to change. Just a silly example, but it happened to me, so you understand. Now once, a, once an optometrist has discovered the shortcoming in your sight, he prescribes glasses or lenses so that you can see clearly. Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2 says this, If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. He will bring a word to you. He will help you set your mind and your heart on His word, on His way of seeing things. Then you can see clearly from His perspective. Then there is faith is present to believe God in the midst of your situation. Just a few more scriptures for you as we as we close out. If you turn in the, in your Bibles to the book of Second Kings, there's a story here which is a a great story. Second Kings chapter six, and we're going to read from verse eight through to verse seventeen. Second Kings chapter six, verse eight through to verse seventeen, and it says this. Oh, I'm in First Kings. Hold on. Hold on. Second Kings, chapter 8. Verse, chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 8 to 17. All right. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. 
Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots, and his servants went to him, uh, said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes and the, young, the eyes of the young man, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. There's a total difference here in perception of a situation. And maybe you're, maybe you're feeling that your situation is bleak. Maybe you're feeling surrounded on all fronts. Maybe you don't know how you're going to get victory here. Ask God to give you eyes to see. Elisha had divine spiritual insight. He prayed for his servant to see him. Because of his spiritual insight, he had a strategic advantage. He had confidence and faith and peace in his situation because of what he saw in the Spirit. It's interesting, Jesus says to us, in this world you're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. What that means to me is that Jesus says, in the midst of what you're going through, if you turn to me, I will tell you exactly what you need to know in the midst of your situation that you can experience life and overcoming victory in your situation. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, Where there is no prophetic revelation, people cast off restraint. I'm going to read you the same verse from a few other translations. The Amplified Bible says, Where there is no vision, no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. The message says it this way, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Really what the scripture is saying is this. When we don't know what it is that God is saying to us, anything goes. We are left to our own devices. We are left to plan as best we can. We are blessed to work things through in our own strength and our own effort because we don't actually know what it is that God is saying. Now, in, in the, as we've discussed over the past few weeks, God is saying things over us. God invites us to ask and to seek and to knock. And He promises, whoever asks, it will be given. Whoever seeks, will find. Whoever knocks to Him, the door will be opened. And we have this, this God who continues to give us this invitation to draw near and to hear what it is that He is saying. A God who longs to shape our perceptions according to His Word, according to what He wants to do, and according to His power, not just for our blessing and our benefit, but for the blessing and the benefit of His kingdom. You see, there's a personal application to this, folks, which is for my blessing, which is for my identity, which is for my life and the life of my family. 
But if that's all I've got, I'm still scraping the very surface of all that God wants to do in my life. Because there's so much more to it. There's a world out there that is crying out for our God. There's a world out there who cannot solve their own problems. They're unable to. Look at the government. Look how they are flip-flopping all over themselves. The government was never meant to be the answer to this world. You and I were. How are we going to do that if we don't know what it is that God is wanting us to do? How it is that he's wanting us to do it? Where it is that he is wanting us to do it? And we are not going to be privy to any of these things unless we spend time pressing into the heart of God. Spend time listening to the Spirit and the voice of God. Spend time meditating on the Word of God so that our perception of God and of ourselves and of every one of His promises to us can be aligned to the point where God can give us a prophetic vision through which His blessing and inheritance can flow through us to the world around us. We then become kingdom ambassadors. Not just receivers of the blessing of God, but conduits for the blessing of God. And wherever we go, we shine like lights in this world. So do you see and you understand this, this flow that we've been on for the, for the past few weeks? It really all comes back to the same principle. And we've just really attacked it from, from various different angles. This idea of time in the presence and in the Word of God, believing and with a heart that is ready and willing to receive, to have our perception and our thinking changed, and to act and obey on the word that God gives us, regardless of the cost. Because those are the ones, Jesus said, have ears to hear. And those are the ones who have eyes to see. And those are the ones who will be able to perceive what it is God is doing. So let me give you an example of this. Eyes to hear, ears to see, eyes to, eyes to see ears to hear. Maybe there's a person in your workplace. Maybe there's a person in your school. What is God saying over them? Maybe they're down and out or they are the rejected one or they're just not quite making it in the workplace. They, they're trying their best, but it's not just happening. Could you be the mouth that God wants to speak through into their situation? Could you be the Jeremiah? Whereas right now you're saying, no God, I'm too young. Or maybe you're saying, no, God, surely not me. I don't spend that much time in prayer. Or no, God, I'm just a new believer. Or no, God, the mountain's too big. Or no, God, there's, there's some reason. Moses' reason was, I stuttered too much. What is, what is the excuse that you are giving? But what is the perspective that God is wanting to give you? Like God said to Jeremiah, don't say that you stuttered too much. Don't say that you're too young. Don't say that you're too, 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 too much of a novice in the word. All I want to do is fill your mouth with my words. I want my perspective of somebody's life. Uh, some, I want somebody's perspective of their lives to change by giving them my perspective over their lives. And you can release encouragement, profess, prophecy, blessing, grace to someone else. Isn't that why we're here, folks? Is it just so we can be blessed Sunday by Sunday and go about our, our weeks, you know? Or is it so that we can learn Sunday by Sunday how to apply this word in our quiet time, in our time alone with God, so that He can shape and transform us, so that He can teach us to recognize and identify His voice, so that in the various situations He places us in in this life, 
we can become those conduits for his blessing. Ministering his life. Leading people to the love of God. And that they can experience. And that their perception can change. And they can enter a new dimension of life and love with him. So wherever you're at today, this morning or tonight, let me just pray over you. Father, I want to pray that wherever every, wherever we are tonight, and whatever it is that we're going through, whatever perception it is that we have about ourselves, whether it be a physical perception, an emotional perception, a perception of our abilities, a perception of our maturity, Father God, I want to pray first and foremost that you would help us to think soberly about ourselves as you have dealt and given to each one of us the measure of your faith. I want to thank you, Lord God, that your your approval and your blessing resides upon every one of us already. Not because of anything that we have or have not done, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I want to pray, Heavenly Father, tonight that, Lord, you would help give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us hearts that are willing and ready to yield and to obey to the, the sound of your voice and the instruction that you give and the word that you speak over our lives. We want to thank you tonight that if we believe anything is possible. And so, Father, the issue is not what you are able to do, the issue is what we are able to believe. And what we are able to believe is dependent on how we see you, how we see ourselves, and how we view your promises. So God, we ask you, I ask you tonight to do a work in this area, in every one of our hearts. Bring us up to where you are. Forgive us for where we try and bring you down to our level. Because the jump just seems so big to get to where you are. Lift us up, I pray. Speak your word of life and encouragement into our hearts and give us the ability and the boldness that we need to begin to speak your word and your perspective over the lives of our loved ones, the lives of our colleagues and those around us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.